0: Chapter 18, go through the book of Luke this morning. We're going to have communion after. So if you're at home, actually, I didn't say this. If you're at home and you want to partake in communion with us, now's a good time uh, to go get the stuff you need, the bread and the cup. If you're at home, you can use wine, I guess, if you want. You can go real. Uh, yeah, we're going to go through chapter 18 this morning. We won't make it all the way through, and then we're going to have communion after and some more worship. So uh, let's get into it. Luke 18. Um, take a half step back, though. We're going to take a look at the end of 17, going into 18, just to set us up. Uh, we left chapter 17 with the Pharisees asking Jesus when the kingdom of God is coming. Look there, uh, kind of verse 20 of chapter 17, the coming of the kingdom is the title of that. So to the disciples, Jesus basically said, the revealing of the son of man will be in a manner much like the days of Noah, how people were coming, they were going to and fro, they were marrying, they were eating and drinking, they were going to Starbucks to get their coffee, they were, you know, like the days of Lot, Jesus says too. You know, people were buying blueprints for their $2.5 million house they were gonna build. There was just things going on, day-to-day life, They were planning for retirement, and Jesus says the revealing of the Son of Man will come as a surprise to those attached to this world. And that's where we pick it up. We go right into chapter 18 Uh, this morning as Jesus continues talking to his disciples And he goes on with a parable. This is actually the 21st parable of 24 in the book of Luke. The book of Luke has the most parables recorded. There's 24 parables in the book of Luke. This one we're going to look at at the start of chapter 18 is the 21st parable recorded in the book of Luke from Jesus. And and Luke actually tells us right away, love this. He tells us the point of this parable right off the hop. Read with me, verse one of chapter 18 says this, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Great. Love this, right? Love this when the Bible just plainly tells you what it's all about. Easy. It makes our lives easier. We just get to the point right away. And so we're just going to read this right through now that we understand the point of this parable. It's so that you ought to always pray and not lose heart. And as we read through this parable. I just want to remind you of this. There's two types of parables out there in the world. Well, actually depends how theological you want to get, but I'm a simple boy (laughs) with simple brain. And so I bring it down to just two parables. There's two types of parables. This actually, they might say, depending who you talk to, there's like thousands of different categories of parables. But I would say there's two parables. There's comparing parables and there's contrasting parables. So a comparing parable is like what it sounds. It's where it's like two things are compared to each other. Jesus compares one thing to another. Like he would say the kingdom of God is like this or or, God, our heavenly father can be compared to that. You know, you should act like this person or that person. He's kind of using the parable as a comparison saying this is what things are like. And then there's also a contrasting parable which is basically the opposite, basically where the kingdom of God is not like this. It's like he uses the parable as a metaphor to contrast things. You know, the kingdom of God is not like this. Our heavenly father is opposite to this of what I'm describing. And fairly simple concept, right? If I can understand it, you can understand that. You got comparing parables, you got contrasting parables. And so this parable we're about to get into, the 21st parable of Luke, the book of Luke is a contrasting parable. So as we read it, uh, we'll break it down a bit. We'll read it right through. We'll break it down a bit. Just keep that in the back of your head that this is a contrasting parable and that it's told to the effect that the disciples ought to always pray and not lose heart. Let's read verse two right through. It says this. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not, give, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Verse eight, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Hey, will you guys stand with me right now? Stretch those legs, it's hot in here. Keep the blood flowing. And we're just gonna pray as we dive into chapter 18 here. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the wisdom that comes from it. Thank you that we can trust your word, that we know the word of God is useful for rebuking, correcting, and teaching, and training in righteousness, Lord, that we can uh, have confidence that your word is the truth, uh, that it doesn't matter what I think or feel, Lord, that we can come to the word of God, and we can trust that what it says is true, and we thank you for that this morning. We invite the Holy Spirit with us this morning as we go through your word and an effort to learn more about what you're trying to teach us this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Thank you. I forgot to say, if you need a Bible, you should grab one from the edges of the room, too. Don't be embarrassed. I won't point you out. And if you need a Bible, if you don't have a Bible and you're too scared to get up and get one, take one home at the end. Take it home with you. Cool. Uh, Chapter 18. So in this parable, we have a couple characters. The first character being introduced in verse 2, we have a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, which is a bit of a winning combo, I would say. And I don't want any comments that you might be thinking of a certain politician or two or three that you know of, even in this day that you think resembles this judge. We don't need any comments. And the second character introduced to us is the is a widow. And Jesus specifically tells us that this woman is a widow. And, and we all know in that day and age that women were specifically already at a disadvantage in terms of societal hierarchy. But even more so on top of that is a woman who's a widow. She has no husband to stick up for her. She, the only income generated normally in that day would have been by the husband. Um, so to not have someone to provide and stick up for, for her in this situation puts her in a real low, low spot in society, in the societal hierarchy. And really her ability to do anything, her rights and ability to get justice would be at a serious, serious disadvantage. And this widow keeps coming to the judge time and time again, seeking justice against her adversary. Verse three and four tells us that the judge keeps refusing to give this woman any justice in what we can only assume she probably properly deserves until finally, look again at verse five, it says this. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So she just wears him down. She pesters him and pesters him and keeps coming and keeps coming until finally the judge gives her justice. Not because it's what he's supposed to do because of what he is like, that's his point. That's his role to give her justice. Not because he cares for the widow and the orphan. Not because he fears God or respects men, but just because he gets tired of her bothering him. Goodness gracious woman, you are annoying. Fine, fine. I'll give you what you want so you stop bothering me. You guys know the story? You know, though, this is, this, this is my second favorite uh, nagging story I know of in the Bible. My first favorite, do you guys know Samson and Delilah? I love this story, Samson and Delilah. Philistines, if you don't know, they go to Samson's wife and they pay her off and they say, hey, tell us, find out where your husband gets all his strength from. And so she goes to her husband and Samson says, oh, it's, it's, uh, it's seven fresh cords. Bind me with seven fresh cords, I won't be able to break free. And so the Philistines do that to Samson and Samson breaks free and moves on. And, and then so Delilah gets upset and she says, oh, you lied to me. Tell me the real truth. So he says, Samson says, okay, well, it's, it's, uh, you got to use cords that have never been worked for, brand new, never used for work. So the Philistines do that. They try and bind Samson and he breaks free and, and then eventually, you know, on and on it goes and, and it goes on and on until eventually in, in the book of Judges, is it Judges? Yeah, it's in Judges 16, it says this. It came about when she nagged him daily with her speeches and kept bothering him. His soul was annoyed to death. It's in the Bible. Samson's wife just nagged him unto death. He knew that the Phyllis that she was telling them her what happened, they'd come and bind him, he'd break free. He knew what was going to happen, but she nagged him and nagged him unto death. I just love that. And that's all I'm going to say about that <laughs> before I keep digging my own grave. Unfortunately, if you talk to Jessica in our relationship, I'm probably the Delilah. (laughs) And that's all I'm going to say about that. So this widow here in chapter 18, this parable, she just nagged and nagged. I'm not going to go anymore. And nagged the judge until he just couldn't take it anymore. He finally relents and he gives justice for her case. And look at verse 6 and 7, how Jesus relates this parable to God. Jesus says, and the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? So Jesus here is saying, remember, this is a contrasting parable. Jesus is saying, God isn't like the judge. Jesus wants you to know that God is the exact opposite of what this judge is here, is going on here. The judge is unfair. God is perfectly fair. The judge has no interest in the widow. God loves and cares for the widow and the poor. The judge didn't fear God or respect man. Well, God is God. (laughs) And he created man to be in harmony with himself. The judge only gave justice because he was nagged till he couldn't stand it. Whereas God is attentive to every cry and ready to pour out lavish gifts upon his elect. Look again at verse seven and we'll go into eight. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? So God is nothing like this judge. He's the exact opposite of the judge. God isn't gonna respond to you or fail to respond to you simply because he's tired of hearing from you. He never gets tired of seeing you come before the throne of grace, Hebrews four sixteen. Jesus says this in relation to the need of, of the persistence in prayer. He says, will he not give justice to his elect? Will he delay long over them? God will give justice speedily to those who cry to him day and night God cares about you. He isn't like this terrible judge. Friends, we ought to pray persistently and not lose heart, not because God is reluctant to give us what we ask, rather the opposite. He's not reluctant. He is free in giving gifts and he will give justice speedily. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Oh, look at that. I have these on the screen. I didn't even know that. Matthew seven eleven says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Romans eight thirty two says this. He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Pretty awesome promises, isn't it? But here's the truth, and I think this is the truth. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God answers prayer speedily, does it? In fact, I would dare to say that you are sitting there lying to me if you can come up and tell me, yes, God answers every prayer that I ask in the time frame I ask. The truth is this. We all go through times where it feels like God isn't listening. We feel like God doesn't answer prayers. We feel like like I come to Sunday night prayer. I, I go to men's or ladies' prayer. I, I pray before dinner. I, I pray before bed. I pray standing up. I pray doing a headstand. I even sent 50 bucks to that guy on TV to pray for me. And it still just doesn't feel like God is listening. It, it feels like God doesn't care. Sometimes, I mean, the honest truth is sometimes I just feel like I have to nag God. I just have to nag and nag and nag for him to hear me. You know, there's, I think I've told this story before. There was a time, it was about a couple years ago, um, for a period of about six to eight months, where I would come to Sunday night prayer and I just hated it. I just, I think I've told this story before. I just didn't enjoy coming to Sunday night prayer. It's just the truth. I would come and I would leave feeling worse than I did when I, before I came. After an hour, I just, I don't know what it was. I just didn't look forward to going to prayer. I would go and I would leave feeling worse than when I came. And, but I kept persisting. I tried and I talked to some people that I trusted and valued their opinion. And the, the general sentiment was this, just keep coming. Just keep coming, fight through it, keep coming. The fact that you're even showing up, the battle's already won. And eventually things changed. I I don't have a nice story to tell this. Eventually things changed, and I don't have a nice happy ending, but things changed, and man, I love coming to Sunday Night Prayer. If you guys don't come to Sunday Night Prayer, you're missing out big time. But things changed, and Sunday Night Prayer is like the best time of the week now. And it's not going to stay that way forever, but it goes up and down like we all know. But there's that period of time where it's like, man, I just didn't, I just... You might be surprised to hear me say that. I didn't want to come to Sunday night prayer. It's just the truth. I think we all go through stuff like that. And and I don't tell you that story to say, oh, look at me, I'm great. I push through and give myself a pat on the back. I tell you it for this, to drive home this point, that friends, your feelings don't dictate the truth. You might be going through a tough time You might wonder why things happen the way they are. You might feel like God isn't listening to you. You might feel like God doesn't care. But friends, your feelings don't dictate the attributes of God. God listens. God cares. God is eager to answer prayers. And so you might still be sitting there going, great, Blake, what a nice little story you've told me. But the truth is, why doesn't God answer my prayers then all the time like I want to? The first time I pray, if God's so eager and God really wants to answer my prayers, why doesn't he do it the first time I, I ask? Why does God want me to, to be persistent in my prayers if he's so eager like the Bible says that he is? What's the deal? There's an issue here. And we all know if there's an issue between you and the Bible The Bible is right. Listen to this quote from Spurgeon. It'll come up on the screen. He says this, Sometimes it does seem to us that God is reluctant to answer our prayers, yet the delays in prayer are not needed to change God, but to change us. Persistence in prayer brings a transforming element into our lives, building into us the character of God himself. It is a way that God builds into us a heart that cares about things the same way he does. Too many prayers are like boys' runaway knocks. Given, and then the giver is away before the door can be opened. Which is Nicky, Nicky, nine doors for us modern human beings. (laughs) Friends, God is more interested in building your character than, than building your comfort. As you pray to him persistently in prayer, there are a number of tests that occur to reveal your heart and ultimately help you in the sanctification process to become more like Christ. In your persistent prayer, there are things that you will learn about yourself to help you grow. And remember this, God cares more about your character than your comfort. And so to help with that, I've got three tests that occur as you continue in your persistence of prayer. If you're a note taker, these are probably good to write down, refer back to as you get annoyed with praying and persisting in your prayer. The first test that happens as you persist in prayer is this, persistent prayer tests your desires. I'm the type of guy that I find something I want and I don't go by it because I need to spend the next two weeks Every night, sitting down, researching, analyzing, looking at what's better, looking at alternatives. I like to look up the specs, you know, look at the reviews, decide this and that. Like, I I, I wouldn't say I'm cheap. I just like to get the right thing, (laughs) if you know what that means. I talk to Jessica, I nag her to death. Well, look at this, look at that. And she eventually gets tired of listening to me and she says, just buy it. You know what you want, just go get it. And, and as I research more and more, I compare and contrast, I realize that what I actually wanted at the beginning isn't actually what I end up getting. This is not actually what I wanted. God wants to give you your desires and as you are persistent in your prayer, they will be defined and refined to what God wants for you. The second thing that happens as you're persistent in your prayer is that it tests your priorities. Do you know how to figure out what your priorities are? Yeah, there we go. It's what you worry about. If you don't know what your priorities are, think about what you worry about. Think about what you're concerned about. I'm concerned about money. I'm concerned about food. I'm concerned about what the mortgage rates are going to go up to in the next six months. And that translates to what I'm gonna pray about. As you are persistent in your prayer, your priorities become clear. What you're concerned about translates into what you pray about. As I pray, as I persist in prayer, it's revealed to me that, hey, those things don't actually really matter. And when I pray with the right priority, God's answer is yes. The third thing that persistent prayer tests is your maturity. Um, years ago when I was, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. I was going to say a young boy that couldn't grow a beard. When I was like 18, I went to university. I did the university thing, took psych 100. I still can't really grow a beard. This is all I can get, just by the way. If you think I'm a tough guy, I'm not. Um, I go to university. I go to take classic psych 100. Um, and in psych 100, they, they tell you about whatever, random, all sorts of random stuff. We watched this video on um, delayed gratification and maturity in children to learn about delayed gratification. And so what they did was they sat like a bunch of kids down, age two up to 10, and they said, you can have an Oreo now, or if you wait five minutes, we'll give you three Oreos. And every kid up to about the age of five or six would always take the Oreo right away. Because they don't understand the maturity level of understanding delayed gratification wasn't there for them. Being able to understand if I can be patient here and wait, there is much more better stuff coming for me is a clear sign of maturity that doctors track in children as they grow up. Understanding that you can't go to God and say, Give me, give me, give me, I'll take all the Oreos right now. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. What happens when God doesn't give you what you want right away? Do you go all oh, fooey I'll go to the next guy down the line then. I'll go to this religion over there. I'll turn to this guy over there. I'll do it my own way. I'll just go make more money then. Fine, God, if you're not gonna give me what I want. Or do you realize that God knows better than you anyways? He hears you, and maybe what you think you actually want isn't what you actually want. Sure, it might make you a bit more comfortable right now, but God cares more about your character and sanctifying you into the likeness of Christ than he does about giving you the ultimate comfort. Being persistent in prayer, test your desires. Listen to Psalm 37, four. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What are the desires of your heart? Truly honestly, ask the Lord to line your desires up with His. Being persistent in prayer tests your priorities. Listen to Matthew 6:33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are your priorities? Put first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things you don't need to worry about your concerns, all these other things you're worried about, where you're going to get food tomorrow, he'll add them to you if you prioritize the kingdom of God. And being persistent in your prayers tests your maturity. Listen to what Jesus did in John 26, 36. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. The night that Jesus was betrayed, He took some disciples with him to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed three times asking for the cup to be taken away. Our model, our our goal of spiritual maturity and our sanctification process, three times prayed asking for the cup to be taken away. The one that we seek to become more like every day for our spiritual maturity was persistent in prayer. Sometimes all through the night, like we read about in the Bible. If he can be persistent in prayer, why can't we be? Look at the last half of chapter 18, verse eight. Says this, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? So Jesus just spent a a good chunk of chapter 17 telling his disciples to be ready for the son of man coming. It's gonna come swift, it's gonna come unexpected and people are just gonna be going about their day-to-day lives. And when he does come, will he find faith on this earth? We all know this if you've been here for any certain amount of time. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, you can say it louder. Hearing comes by the word of, word of God. Amen. Romans ten seventeen. But you want to know a good barometer for your faith? Now, this isn't the only barometer, but one of the barometers for your faith is your persistence in prayer. Read with me verse 9 as we take a look at now two different examples of men in prayer. The Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 9, we'll read this whole parable here. It says this, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, Jesus would expose the selfish, unrighteous unbelief of the Pharisees. Uh, we know Pharisees, they were they were experts of the law. They often came at odds with Jesus. They were not quiet in their disdain towards Jesus. And, and they actually had a lot of influence amongst the Jewish people because they were seen as kind of the cream of the crop when it came to knowing and applying the law. If you remember Paul, he was a Pharisee before his uh, road to Damascus conversion. So in a parable like this, uh, as Jesus is telling this, imagine you're 20, what year is it? 2022. 2022. Imagine you're, 2,000 years ago, just under 2,000 years ago. Uh, you're listening to Jesus tell this parable. You're keen Now, keen listeners following Jesus would know anytime a Pharisee came up in a parable, it wasn't a good thing. But if you're just a Joe Blow on the street, you might hear, oh, parable, uh, a Pharisee in this parable, he's gonna be an example of what to do. You might think Pharisees are gonna be a good example of what to do, especially compared to a tax collector who is universally disliked by everybody even probably today. I don't think anyone can tell me you're a fan of tax collectors. So in this parable, two men come to the temple to pray and let's compare and contrast the two prayers. First up, we have the Pharisee. He says this in verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. So let's just get this out of the way. Let's be clear here, this guy's deluded. <laughs> he's just like, he doesn't know what he's, he's deluded with how prayer works. He's focused on himself, explaining how God, he, he's trying to tell God about how good he is. He's focused on being accepted by God based on the things that he does. He's focused on comparing himself to all those around him. All this Pharisee can do with prayer is use it to gain public recognition rather than a spiritual exercise to glorify God. And this Pharisee's main goal is to find the scumbag of the crowd and compare himself to that guy and goes, well, that settles that. I'm good to go. And so at the fear of, again, I want to say this, that's not how this works. (laughs) Remember the last time I was up here speaking, I grabbed our friend Timmy. I got in trouble because we had some Timmies. Now, 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 let's just get this clear. Anyone here know a Sally? We're good with Sally? Oh, Sally's out. Okay. How about Georgina? We're good with Georgina. Okay. You can take Georgina and you can compare your life to hers because there's always going to be someone worse than you, right? Oh, Georgina, she sped and I don't speed. Georgina said a curse word the other day. And so I'm better than her. I'm good to go. And that's what we do, right? Like you might not admit it, but I do that too. As I'm driving down the road, I go, oh, that guy, he went too fast. As I'm, I'm only five over the limit. That guy's 10. He's going too fast. I'm okay. You can always find your neighbor who's worse than you and justify your sins. And it's easy. Anyone can do that. But the problem is that's not how this works. You're deluded. (laughs) That's not how this works. God doesn't use Georgina to compare you to. God uses himself to, to compare you to. Perfect, holy, righteous in every manner. And that's who you should be comparing yourself to. The only means to justification is through the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross who willingly gave up his life for you and for me. And then he was raised again three days later by the Father so that your sin is atoned for and that you may have eternal life. It's not by your comparison of who's better or who's worse than you. Look at the tax collector, verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a prayer tax collector with a proper view of himself, he knows and understands what a sinner that he is. When compared to the perfectly holy God in heaven, there is nothing to do, there is no other way to come to him in prayer other than to say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. As this tax collector stands, barely able to lift his eyes up to heaven in a in a It's almost like primal act of beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. He knows in his heart, there's nothing left other than to come before God and say, God, be merciful. This is all I have, Lord. I ask you today to be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And who does Jesus say was justified in this? The tax collector was. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The humble faith of the tax collector justified him before God in heaven. Look at verse 15 as we see one more contrast to the Pharisee in the infants. And we're gonna finish it up here as we look at this last little uh, paragraph here that Jesus says. Uh, Verse 15 of chapter 18 says this, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now friends, don't mistake this for Jesus saying, Uh, you know, the need for children baptism. Jesus doesn't say that you must receive the kingdom of God as a child. He says you must receive it like a child. But also don't mistake this for staying, being childish. We're called to grow. We're called not to be like infants tossed to and fro by every, every carried about and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But he says you're to come to the kingdom of God as a child. Children full of energy, Joy, sometimes. <laughs> I always think back to those, uh, like two days at the camp out where I had to spend, I got to spend about 45 minutes with your kids. Uh, ah, those are great memories. <laughs> happy to see them, happy to see him go. <laughs> but children, right, they're generally well, I see them as full of joy because, uh, you know, when they're not full of joy, I get to hand them back. But uh, they're not dependent on any, they're, they are dependent on you, right? They're not concerned with where my food is, they're not concerned with going to work, they're not concerned with the day-to-day issues of life, of, of anything. They just simply trust in the Lord, acknowledge Him, like we had up front here, Jesus loves me, yeah, hey, amen. <laughs> Jesus says, let these kids come to me for such belongs the kingdom of God. It's just so easy for ourselves to get obsessed and, and so bogged down with abstract theological ideas that we, we just simply forget the simple truth. Man, Jesus loves you. You come to him humbly. You come to him saying, God, I'm, uh, be merciful on me. I'm a sinner. God, I'm better than Georgina. It's not about that just simply coming to him as a, as a child would come to their parents saying, Lord, forgive me, look after me, I need you. And so as we wrap here, that's all we're gonna get through today. We're gonna finish 18 uh, next week. The worship team comes back up. I just wanna leave these final thoughts with you here this morning. I'm gonna move this 50 pound table over here. Um, I just wanna leave these final thoughts in your head as we wrap up this morning, as we are about to uh, partake in communion together The kingdom of God is at hand, friends. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming quick. It's coming soon. The kingdom of God is here. Be persistent in prayer so that you do not lose heart. There's days, there's weeks, there's, heck, there's even years where you might feel like God just isn't listening to me. I've been praying about something for years and years, whether it's, whether it's, you know, and we all know, whether it's spouses or, or family members or, or various things going on in our own lives, that it's just like, God, I've been praying for this for years and years and years. And I just feel like I'm nagging you and you aren't listening. That's not our God. You might feel that way, but that does not dictate the truth of God, that he hears you, he's listening to you, He's not an unjust judge who's sitting off to the side, unwilling to listen to you. Friends, I promise you, your feelings don't dictate God's attributes. The word of God tells us that he hears our prayers. So take heart and be persistent in prayers. Come humbly before God like the tax collector saying, Lord, be merciful to me. God, be merciful for I am a sinner and receive the kingdom of God like a child. Will you guys stand with me? I'm gonna pray uh, and then we're gonna have Matt come up and lead us in communion. Lord, we thank you uh, just for this day, Lord. We thank you that we can trust you. God, we can take your word as truth that it doesn't matter how I feel or what I think or or what anybody says, Lord, that we know our feelings don't change the true everlasting attributes of who you are, God. And we just praise you for that. We thank you this morning for your son that you sent here on earth. God become man. Willingly gave up his life on the cross for us, his blood shed for us. And then three days later was raised again and and atoned for our sins, atoned for my sin, Lord. I just repent this morning, of any sin that I have against you, Lord. Wash me whiter than snow. Um, Humble me, Lord, if I am coming with any preconceived notions. Uh, Take me back to being like a child, Lord, entering the kingdom of God as a child, trusting in you, setting my priorities and my desires in line with yours, Lord. Help me be mature in my spiritual walk. Sanctify me as I strive to become more like Jesus, Lord. We just thank you for this day. Amen.